Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. Hey, hey, I just wanted to pop on here real quick before the episode starts and give a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Now that that's out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy it because it helps the podcast grow. And don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. Hi, and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. I'm here with my therapist BFF, Paige. We are pretty much twins, same person, with a few differences, right? Same person, different body, different states. That's it. Same soul. (laughs) Yes, we share a soul. Paige, introduce yourself for everyone or reintroduce yourself for everyone. You've been on the podcast before, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, My name is Paige and coffee is my beverage of choice. That's what keeps me alive. (laughs) I'm a mother to three kids, six and under. And so I'm constantly um, wearing leggings, dirty shirts and have messy hair (laughs) while trying to balance life as a therapist. I work with kids, um, teens and adults, and I'm a trauma therapist and I specialize in anxiety and depression. Yes. And I feel like the first time you came on the podcast was like the beginning of our friendship because that's how we got to know each other. So I feel happy that you're back and it is like the year anniversary of the podcast. This episode is so. Oh, this is, oh my gosh. Happy one year. We have to celebrate. We do. And we have a, a really big announcement at the end. So that will be good. Yes. That. It's not going to be my favorite part other than celebrating your one year. I don't think people realize sometimes how much goes into committing to something like consistently for a year, every week or biweekly for a whole year. That's yeah, that's, crazy. Yeah. It's a lot of work, a lot of behind the scenes work that people don't see. Yeah. Okay. So the topic today is therapist Q and a, correct? Yeah. Yep. A ton of questions. We got a handful in from our Facebook group that we also co-run. If you guys aren't aware of that one, we send some of our best stuff, our free workshops to that Facebook group. So I don't know, comment, subscribe, just kidding. Um, but really comment or DM or, or get a hold of us somehow to get, get into that group because whether it's like a brand new course or it's a free class, or it's just what our focus is, is just creating this really supportive community of moms who are going through parenting and we kind of talk about like the highs and lows of the things we experience so we got a lot of questions out of there very fruitful and then I got some off of our Instagram also yes and I feel like as far as like the group goes that is where we are both most present as far as like answering questions giving feedback walking people through situations um, is like our, our focus and goal with that group really is like, that is our main priority because we want to build a community in there. So, yeah. And consistently add value to people who are seeking it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's called, um, embracing mindful motherhood 
and positive parenting, I think on (laughs) on Facebook and, or if you're my friend on Facebook, you can add me or in, in the show notes, I'll put the link to both of our like Instagrams and you can DM us and we'll send you the link there. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I have some of the questions that you texted me, but do do you want to read them? Cause I think you have the full list. Yeah. So the first one that I wanted to talk about was kind of more of a generalized statement. That was, it was like, uh, how to make friends as an adult and especially as a mom, like, what do you, what do you recommend? I have no advice. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> You're like, I have no friends. That's I have the answer. <laughs> I have like two or three close friends. If you're listening, you know who you are. And um, it's hard. Like making friends as an adult is hard, but then you add in this extra layer of making friends when you have kids and you're busy mm-hmm. and maybe people don't parent the same way you do or have the same values that you do when it comes to parenting. And, um, I don't know, just finding people you vibe with is hard, but then you add in the kid thing and it's harder. I agree. I actually, so I went out last weekend with a bunch of adults, which was already an unusual feeling, but I met somebody, um, and we got along great. Like they love true crime. They have a great sense of humor, Um, We enjoy the same foods. We are joking about music. And I was like, I feel like I'm dating. So what did I do? I looked them up on social media and I slid into those DMs. I was like, this is probably really creepy, but I like you. Can we be friends? Here's my phone number. Let me know. (laughs) Awkward thumbs up emoji. (laughs) I love that. It is like dating though. It feels like awkward and Um, I especially get that feeling before I'm on like the level with someone. And I know I had this with you, like, do I text them? Am I texting them too many times? Can I double text them? (laughs) Do I wait for them to like reach out to me? Whereas like now, like we're on a level where we're just like sending like stream of consciousness text messages. Like it's not a thing. So, but it does require a lot of like testing the waters and thought and effort that I think we don't have the space for sometimes once our life is full of a job and kids and running a household and a partner. Absolutely. And so it can just feel so overwhelming that we don't even try. And then we feel isolated and lonely. Yeah. 100% any kind of spirals. So I think my number one piece of advice for making friendships in adulthood is don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Right. So like, I have very hard time trusting people as a therapist. That probably sounds bizarre, but like, Hey, we all have our own baggage. Right. So for me to be able to like reach out and, and I'm very like tentative testing the water, like, can we be friends? Can we not? What is this like? Um, my main barrier was like trusting people enough to know that it was authentic. And then also understanding that like, not everybody's a fit for me, just like not, I'm not a fit for everybody right? And being okay and letting go of that instead of feeding into the, but they have to like me. So I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and like violate my own boundaries. Right. Which I don't want to do. I don't want to do that. Right. And I, um, am very guarded as a friend, which is sounds weird also, cause I'm a therapist, but that is because I think 
I've gone through my life guarded not to get into my own therapy session here. So I always focus on everyone else. So being a therapist is easy for me, but like having true connections is something that's a lot harder for me because I have to actually be like vulnerable and open and talk about myself sometimes. Um, and vulnerable. So Mm -hmm. having to like, for me, it's about, I generally can tell pretty quickly if someone's my type of person and allowing myself to like be vulnerable with those people rather than just um, pushing them away or keeping them at mm-hmm. a distance has, mm-hmm. is the tip. So if you're one of those people who is like more timid or closed off, when you feel like there is someone that you've met or come across that you feel like you could have a connection with, I would encourage you to get a little bit uncomfortable and put yourself out there a little bit. Yes. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. Or like uh, our girl, Brene Brown, hello, Brene, you can hit me up. It's fine, girl. We do lunch like once a month. Just kidding. We don't. Did I you wish. see she has a TikTok now? <laughs> no, I have to follow that. I'm yeah. going to get on her TikTok. But in her Dare to Lead book, she talks about vulnerability and, and, you know, it's kind of her thing. So she talks about it everywhere. But one of the ways she defines it is emotional exposure, right? So instead of being like, oh, vulnerability, like is scary and uncomfortable, I want everyone who's listening to this right now to approach it in a form of it is emotional exposure and it's a gift. So when you choose to be vulnerable with somebody, that is a gift you are offering them. And when we give it to the wrong people, just like when we give people in our life gifts, they don't appreciate, right? So when you give it to the wrong people, there's an opportunity for them, I guess, to violate that gift. So like it's, it's a power and it's a gift that you have to give. So don't be afraid of that emotional exposure when you're reaching out to make these connections, because that is the purpose of life, human connection, but also realize that not everybody is worth your gift. Right. And I have one more thing to say, and then I'm going to let you go get your child dressed for school. We'll take a little break and be right back. But, um, I think that if someone rejects that gift or stomps on it or hurts you. That's not about you. That's not about your worth. That's not about anything. That is about something that they need to work out in themselves. Absolutely. And people say unkind things about you. It's a projection of their own insecurity. Okay. Sorry. No, you're good. All right. We're back. Okay. So what was the next question? Okay. Question number two, which I think is kind of a heavy one. So do we want to do it now or do we want to do like another one in between it? Mm, you can do it now, but I think this, I think I read this one. This needs a trigger, <laughs> trigger warning. Yes. Trigger warning. Okay. Trigger warning, suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so this one came from one of the people um, in our group and it, they shared that um, they have their daughter, daughter, hospitalized for suicidal ideation. Um, And even after we come out of the hospital, sometimes we're still feeling really lost and alone. I mean, she wants to know what are some ways that loved ones can support parents in this position? And I would venture even to say people in the position when they come out of the behavioral health hospital. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? You can start. So I think a lot of times in these situations, 
we don't necessarily know like what to say or how to react. So we either don't say or do anything or we try and tell them not to feel how they're feeling or like it's going to be okay or like overly reassuring and that can feel invalidating as well so I think it kind of depends on the person and the kind of support they need but my first piece of advice was if this is a child that's old enough to express themselves and talk to you about it like ask them what they need from you and how you can help them or if it's like a friend or an adult just asking them like how can I support you what what do you need from me and they may say Mm -hmm. I don't know and it may be like okay well this is what I'm thinking are you okay with this whether it's like checking in daily um, and talking about feelings or um, helping them like facilitate like getting to therapy or medication management I think those are the main things that like people leaving the hospital then don't follow through with sometimes Mm -hmm. and it can be helpful to have that so it's kind of hard because it was like for an adult and kids but I hope that all made sense yeah because you can either be in the place of a parent or you can be in the place of a loved one Mm -hmm. Um, because this is something that is more common than I believe is talked about with the stigma. And I think it's, my response feels like it's very similar to when somebody we care about is grieving, right? Because we're not, we're uncomfortable. The situation is uncomfortable. It's not something that society is necessarily in a place where they're comfortable discussing yet openly. Um, And the worst, the last thing you want to do is make it worse, right? I'm just not trying to make it worse. I don't know what to say or do. So the thing that came to mind when you were offering your piece of advice was like, sometimes we don't know what we need. So maybe even throw out some of those suggestions. Cause sometimes I'm like, gee, I don't know. But then I had a friend when I was having a really hard time, I was like, can I just empty the trash out of your car? And I was like, actually, yeah. Cause that's one less thing that I have to do. That would be great. You know? Um, but when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking too of the parent perspective and supporting other parents who might be experiencing their child going through it. And I think about the fear, right? Because we're uncomfortable because it's not something that's really talked about, or it still has a lot of stigma. We have a lot of fear about what this is and maybe some judgments on like what caused it or how they're behaving or, what they need next. Um, so my piece of advice would be to set aside your fear and um, ask, like, what do you need? Yeah. And come with um, offered suggestions um, because it's worse to not say anything thinking you'll make it worse than to say something and have to backpedal a little bit. Yes. And I think so um, on like suicide prevention month, a lot of people post and talk about how like they're afraid to, people are afraid to talk about suicide because they feel like it will increase suicides. And the exact opposite is also true. Mm -hmm. Specifically with teenagers in Utah, we have a suicide problem. I don't know what Idaho is like, but we have a teen suicide problem here in Utah. And Mm -hmm. in my Valley too, I live in a secluded area. It's very high. Right. So by the time your child is that age, they're talking about it with their friends, even if they are not the one experiencing it, 
friends mm-hmm. are experiencing it. And so really having these conversations too, as a family and teaching your children how to show up for friends and, and support people because it is such a big issue right now is important as well. Yeah. And then, you know, the person that asked this question question mentioned that they didn't want their, to feel like their child was being judged for what they were experiencing. And so I would voice that to you. If, if we have people close to us, I would voice like, Hey, I'm really looking for some support because I'm not sure how to support my kid. And I just need somebody to talk to or share stuff with. Um, I'm afraid that you'll judge my child if I share with you and leave it at that. See what they say. Most of the time people are going to be like, no, that's not the end. Once they're aware that that's your fear, they're even more heightened to ensure that that's not happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, oh, and then just, this is very like logistical advice, but when they release your child or anyone from a hospital, they usually have some kind of like follow-up plan, safety plan that talks about Mm -hmm. like their triggers, their supports, whether it's like coping skills or people just being Mm -hmm. aware of those so that you can prompt your child to follow the plan if they're feeling down. Um, So Mm -hmm. you can look at it and say like, okay, well, I know you're feeling down. Have you, or you're feeling suicidal. Have you tried this, 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 and this, or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Just being involved in the creation of that plan and following up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would venture into even like the opposite side of it, where I'm talking about the parents and parental support, I would have like pocket phrases to become comfortable and used to saying such as like, I know you guys are doing everything you can. Um, I would like to help you out. Can I do X, Y, Z? Um, I would even say something along the lines of like, I'm not really sure what to say, but I want to be here to support you. I love those. You know, and, and have those just like pocket phrases that might express how you're feeling without not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just holding space, like the power of holding space, we mm-hmm. in grief, like you said earlier, and with this, like, we often think we have to fix the problem or solve something when really like someone just, we just want someone to sit with us and hold space for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes the only thing you can say is, I don't know what to say or do, but I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And I'm here. I'm and just I'm here. here. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Woo. Next question. Um, how do you deal with family commenting on behaviors or eating or the appearance of your kid coming hot off the holidays with that one? Yeah. <laughs> um, punch them in the face. No, just kidding. Don't do that. That was not my advice. Um, (laughs) from this therapist to you, (laughs) no, do not be punching anyone and be like, well, Lindsay told me this is educational content only. Yes. (laughs) For legal purposes, that comment was made. And as a comedy contribution to this podcast. Um, okay. Well, it depends on the person. So there's people in your life, or for me at least, there's people in your life that are important enough that are worth the conversation and the battle. Then there's people that you maybe don't have to be around, can avoid, right? So if the person is important enough in your life that it's worth the battle, I think then you go into two separate, like, 
are they open to having a conversation or are they going to be defensive and not open? And that's mm-hmm. where it really just depends on their response and how you would handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's someone just like making an off the cuff comment and it's um, not something that is a huge deal, I usually just say something politely back like, oh, we don't use that language in our house or um, I'm trying to think of like an example, like that's if a about, solid one. Like we don't label foods as good and bad or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, what thoughts are you having? First, I was like, dang, that's solid. We don't use that language in this house. That's broad and pretty encompassing. Um, specifically about food, I feel like I do that a lot because I on am on the side of the elder millennial that does not force our kids to eat everything on their plate before they can have anything else type situation. Um so oftentimes I'm like, if your belly's happy, you don't have to eat anymore. And I say that to people too. I'm like, oh, their belly's happy. So they're done. Right. And I specifically try not to, I have in the past to force my kids to, and this has nothing to do with, well, maybe um, like sit down and eat at like family gatherings or events mm-hmm. because it's so overstimulating that um, like I'll offer them, but I, I used to get really wrapped up in like, they're not eating. I'm going to make them eat before they can go play or yeah. whatever. And now I'm like, I don't even or like, oh my gosh, they made this food and now we're not eating it. That's so rude. Yeah. And that was a me problem. I had to really examine like, am I going to force myself to eat this food or have my kid eat this food just for that reason? Like right. if I'm not hungry anymore. I'm allowed to be done and say no. And so are my kids. Right. And I was more concerned about like what people thought about my parenting and if my kids wouldn't sit nicely mm-hmm. and eat. And I, ha- and I had to realize that was something I needed to work on rather than like them needing to eat their food, like, mm-hmm. right. So exploring all of those, if the person is still a jerk or, <laughs> well, is the person a jerk or are they like uninformed and unintentionally being offensive, I guess. Yeah. I, don't know. I laughed because I was like the most frustrating thing in the world is not being able to control the responses and actions of the other people. Right. <laughs> Hi, my name's Paige. And it took me a really long time to learn how to establish boundaries. Hi. Um, basically from my own childhood, I didn't have boundaries. I wasn't allowed to have boundaries. And so enforcing boundaries as an adult is like scary. It's okay. like, I'm not allowed to do this. I'm not really allowed to say no. I just need to keep the peace. Um, so when they're talking about people making comments on my kid's appearance or how they're eating or what was the other thing? Oh, their behaviors specifically. That one drives me nuts. Um, I draw, I have to learn to draw a boundary, right? So that's why I laughed because I was like, man, it's so frustrating when I ask my husband to do something and he's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I get so angry, (laughs) but I can't control his response. I can't control his reactions. It's the same thing when I set boundaries. So at one point, I mean, example, family gathering, all of us together, my kids were overstimulated, acting up, not what my family would consider like well-behaved children, right? The, the seen, not heard type. And so I just was like, they're done eating. We haven't had an app all day. And so this is where we're at. And if you're not comfortable, we can always get together another time. 
I was like, that's it for me. Like, I'm not, I'm not okay. And I'm not open to my kids hearing this. Right. I, I also think like when it comes to like body and appearance, I don't know why that one stuck out to me. Um, I think I would just say, we don't talk about bodies. We don't talk about, like we talk about functions of bodies, but we don't talk about appearance and, mm-hmm. or weight, if that is a concern. Um, mm-hmm. And then I would just nicely tell them like, that's how I'm choosing to parent. And I'm asking you to support and respect that. And if you mm-hmm. continue to, to, to talk to them about their body or make comments about their food mm-hmm. choices or their weight, then I will not be able to like be around you with them. Cause I think right. that is a place where you're like, okay, this is detrimental. So there's a, the things that are like, oh, not a big deal. But then there's the things that you feel like would be detrimental to your child. And that's where mm-hmm. I think it's okay to have that really firm boundary. Like we're, we're not doing that. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like that's easier for me because my family's not super close and we don't hang out all the time. But I think for people who are very close to their family members, it's very hard to have that firm of a boundary. And sometimes I have like, like I said, pocket phrases and comments. That's going to be the theme of this whole podcast. I got pocket phrases. So something that I don't like is um, moving from Arizona to Idaho and Idaho, lots of people comment on my child's appearance on whether she looks female or male. And I do not come from that place. I'm like, so if someone's like, oh, you want to have long hair because girls have long, beautiful hair. I will look at the person and say, actually, girls have long and short hair and they're both beautiful. And then I'll also say that to my child where I'm like providing a correction and establishing a boundary, but it's not so firm that now I'm scared. I'm severing the relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, and most people, well, it's hard with families because there's not as many boundaries and people feel more comfortable. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think there's social situations where if, even if you just provide the correction, people socially can pick up on the cue, like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah. I need to the like, ones that can't though. I'm like, like, stop commenting on my daughter's hair. We're done. <laughs> like, like, we need to be done. <laughs> but it's but with, so true. With family, it is hard because you care about them. There is that closeness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes too, I think it's that um, grandparents or our like our parents were raised in a different generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hear about that a lot in working with families that like, it's like mm-hmm. parents. And I was reading the study and they said that, um, it's more important to have like supportive, loving grandparents in your child's life than to have them parent exactly or respond exactly the way you would. Um, mm-hmm. so keeping that in mind, like there's going to be differences and that's okay, but also like figuring out for yourself, what is the line for me that I decide mm-hmm. this would be detrimental Absolutely. to me or my child because you sh- non-negotiables, yeah, You're non-negotiables. Like, yeah. Right. Like you should never accept verbal abuse, emotional abuse, like toxic behaviors. But if it's just like a little, like, Oh, I think blah, blah, blah comment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's to you and not to your child or whatever it is. And you feel okay with it. That might be a different situation. Yes. And also coming from a parent parental perspective, if you have a really like, let's say these family members are your parents, right? Your mom and dad, you have a history and a system and a dynamic with them that as even adults, we often fall back into when we're in that family atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to, that's why I tell you to have pocket phrases, right? We're going to whip it out. We're going to be available and just be like, this is it. I just threw my headphones. It's fine. That's how passionate I am. But like, 
it's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel good to set the boundary. It's not going to feel good to provide the correction. And you might have some anguish about it for a couple of days and have to sit with that and move through it. And that's because we move into very similar dynamics that we had when we were kids with the people that like, especially family, right? The family cycles. So I want you to know that. And I also want you to know that the more you do it, the easier it gets. So have a pocket phrase you can fall on, practice it. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yes. And just one more thing, and then we'll move on to the next question. I think too, when you have those dynamics already set up, like say it's your parents or your siblings or those things, I think you're coming from your, your own perspective and place with them. And you have likely, if you're listening to this podcast, evaluated things about your childhood that you want to change in your own parenting. So you may be a little more sensitive and reactionary to those specific issues than like your child who was not, doesn't have that experience. So it may be actually affecting you more than it does your Mm -hmm. child, depending on the comment as well. And so keeping that in mind, like, is this my emotional reaction and my childhood stuff? Or is this something that actually could be harmful to my kid? Yeah. And that takes a lot of time and practice too. So know that you're not damaging your child while these dynamics are happening. You're doing your best to manage the situation and yourself. And there's a lot going on. And you're, and you're modeling that to your kids, like how Mm -hmm. you, how you have adult relationships with people who you were a child with, how you handle conflict, how you set boundaries, how you navigate strong emotions, you're modeling all that to your kids. So it's not bad to be figuring it out. Absolutely. Man, there's so much we could go into about this stuff. But next question, because we're on a Q&A. So next question, and this will probably be the last one for this recording. And then maybe if you guys appreciate this, we can do another one. Yeah. But what is the best way to step-by-step help young kids process trauma without re-traumatizing them? And this is another loaded question. I need to like think for a minute. Okay. This is my first thought. So when I talk to people about trauma and trauma-informed therapy, I make sure to to let everybody in the process know, depending on how old the kid is. It's like, let's say the kid is verbal and old enough and has memories of their experiences. Trauma-informed therapy isn't about you telling me this story over and over and over and over again until all of a sudden you're okay with it, right? Sometimes people are comfortable resharing their narrative. And we work that and we create new meaning from it. But more often than not, what I'm doing in trauma-informed therapy is I'm highlighting your strengths and capacities and the things you've learned and the things that continue to come up in your relationships and showing them to you. And we're talking about how you're going to use those to empower yourself to continue to go, right? We're going to take all those characteristics and attributes and we're going to talk about how you use those as moving forward and how you've grown from that and how you're capable and why you're capable and how it served you and how it will continue to serve you. Right. And so I think an important distinction needs to be made here. And that like a lot of parents, if something traumatic happened to their child or they find out about something that happened Mm -hmm. recently, they want to put their kid in therapy like the next week because they are like wanting them to like process it, work through it and like, and move quickly through it. Sometimes with trauma, you need like a minute 
before mm-hmm. you're like trying to like work through those things. Mm-hmm. Um, because your body needs to process what happened. You need to get back to feeling safe. If you can, there's just a lot there. Absolutely. So if it's something like I'm going to use trauma in terms of a car accident, cause it's easy to give the example, but understand that this can be really complex given like situations where people mm-hmm. are traumatized over and over and over. You get in a car accident. You're not going to, you're going to, it feels more normal to like maybe have nightmares about the car accident, um, have all these like grief feelings about the car accident for a couple weeks. Right. And mm-hmm. we can look at that and say, Oh, that's, pr- that's pretty normal. They're like working through it. And then if in a couple months, it's something that is still like, affecting them deeply, then they would maybe take other steps to further process that. Cause that's showing, okay, my brain is stuck there. Right. Mm-hmm. So applying that to all situations. So if something more serious happens, recognizing like we want to support and show up for our kids, but maybe we don't necessarily need to talk about it or bring it up, but we just need to support them with their brain working through it in the beginning. And then once it's had a minute, mm-hmm doing the therapy piece. I don't know if that made any sense, but I mean, it made sense to me, but I'm also a therapist. Just kidding. I think that that was a great example because that's exactly true. Like when you're in the supportive place of somebody who's experienced trauma and you're worried about re-traumatizing them, okay, your role is a supportive role. So what support them in the big emotional reactions in their comfort zones. So I'm like, if they're crying a lot, they're crying a lot, be there and offer support. Like, how can I, how can I support you? We're not trying to fix it. Okay. The so, fixing it, I think is like the part that. Yes. Perfect. And it gets scary. This is exactly what I was trying to say. Like our body. No, for the most part, if it can, it will work through the trauma kind mm-hmm. of on its own, like our body yes. and brain, right? Yes. And sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need support, but letting the person have that experience of yes. like, I'm and without trying to guide it or overprotect them from being re-traumatized or, yes. you know, re-traumatizing them. Yes. And I think too, when you're in that supportive role, it's painful to watch the person process because you don't want them to be hurting. Especially you love Especially when it's your kid. Of course you love them. You want to be able to help them and make them feel better and take away all of the pain and the brain and body are working as fast as they can. And so the only thing we can do is really take that supportive role outside of seeking with, with, you know, like Lindsay said, after we've kind of gone through a period where things have settled and stuff is coming up or still coming up, then we're seeking the help of a professional because there's a whole process involved in helping somebody kind of work through that narrative and to heal from some of that stuff. But I would say take that supportive role in whatever that looks like for them. And I'm going to end with the analogy too, that like, if your child's traumatized, you are also traumatized and Mm -hmm. you likely need to seek your own support and help because you may need to have your place to grieve Mm -hmm. um, and to get support so that you can show up for your child and support them and take the supportive role. So like if you're in a car accident with car accidents are the theme today, I guess, with like your family, you're all hurt, right? There's different Mm -hmm. kinds of hurt um, because you're sitting in different places in the car, but there's all, everyone's hurt. That's how trauma is for families as well. 
Absolutely. It affects everybody in the, in the unit. And I know that the person asking the question asked specifically for young kids. And so for kids that aren't, aren't verbal, there isn't going to be necessarily like, you're not going to talk them out of, you know, anything they're experiencing or talk them into some level of support, but I would venture. And this is true for almost everything. Like young children play with them, engage with them, be with them in like their interests levels and where that's at as a safe person and as a support network. And if they're young, um, provide like safety, security, stability, lots of comfort in that Mm -hmm. beginning part. And then seek help for you. Yes. Okay. So we have a very, very important announcement. Are you ready? I need a drummer. (laughs) First, can we summarize our main points from our question real quick? Sure. Yeah. Just because I I feel like, I know I'm excited too, but like everything we've talked about feels like it it lands in a gray, which is so much about what therapy is, right? We are like in a gray area because everyone is so different. And so the first one with making friends, I think our main points were like, put yourself out there and be comfortable with getting uncomfortable. Know that it's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And know your worth too. Mm -hmm. It'll feel good. And then our next one was supporting someone who's recently been released, right? Who's recently been discharged from the hospital, child or parent was something along the lines of have your pocket phrases, right? That was mine. Have your pocket phrases where you can offer support without trying to fix the problem. Yes. And just support them in whatever way they need. Yeah. Ask them what kind of support they need if they can. Awesome. Yeah. And then express your fears, express your fear of judgment. Okay. And then family commenting on behavior, eating or parents of your kid. Again, I'm coming in hot with my pocket phrases and knowing that it's okay to set boundaries. Love it. And then this last one we just did, but to avoid re-traumatizing, ride the wave of the emotions and seek professional help if needed. Absolutely. Okay. So our big announcement. Yes. Paige is joining the podcast and we're trying to still kind of figure out the schedule and how it's going to work, but there'll be some episodes, um, just with Paige doing her thing. Some with me just doing my thing and some with us together. Yes. I'm so grateful to be here and I'm so excited to walk into this new year, quite literally a new year and a new year on mindful as a mother podcast. So I can't wait to be here with you guys. I'm so excited to have you. I think it's going to add so much like, um, so, so much more perspective. Cause it's not just me talking about my opinions and feelings and thoughts. There'll be someone else too, to add their vibe to this, the podcast. <laughs> okay. Awesome. All right. Well, we will be back next week. You have a great week and comment like subscribe share (laughs) leave a review (laughs) if you want more of mindful as a mother you can find me on instagram at lynn's underscore adams lcsw once again at lynn's 
L-I-N-D-S underscore Adams, L-C-S-W. Thank you.